0: Yo, 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 what is up, everybody? Welcome back. We got another episode of The Strange Road. I'm your host, Mikey, as always, riding shotgun, Bub, the co-host, and we got Stoner and Dizbro and Master Control crushing it with the audio and video. Say hello to everybody, guys. People just love that Master Control cam. I love it. I love it. So, guys, switching it up a little bit, I feel like we haven't uh, done uh, a podcast episode like this in a little bit We've been kind of all over the map uh, But this has gone Really really pumped for this one We've been
1: crossing uh, off every little square right. On the bingo card of strange lately right, right. And we just finally happened to land on this one
0: Yep absolutely uh, but before we hop into that, you guys can follow us at The Strange Road on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. We got the Facebook group, Strange Road Hitchhikers Rockin' and Rollin'. Uh, if you're on YouTube, please like, subscribe, share that video Yep. if you enjoy the show. Rate, review. Exactly. And as always, we love to keep our live streams and our premieres completely ad-free for you guys. Uh, super stickers and super chats are right there available for you. Yep. Uh, it's a great way to support the show and continue all the operations and things we're trying to do down here, uh, any any help is much, much appreciated. Very much so. Uh, and for all you guys listening, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere where you're listening, leave us that five-star review, yep. shout us out, say what's up, and, uh, you know, I think... Uh, Unless I was forgetting anything.
1: No, no. Good to go. You're always
0: my reminder. I think we're good to go. I think we're good to go. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's get into it. Let's introduce like it. our guest for tonight. Please welcome author, researcher, and YouTuber Will from Incredible History. What's happening, Will? How are you doing tonight, man?
2: Mikey, Bub, thanks for having me on. <laughs> I'm doing well. Yes. This is yeah. the first podcast ever on The Strange Road. Dude. I've been a fan of S2, so I'm excited about it. And uh, I'm ready to get weird. So Dude. yes, I got some.
0: <laughs> Dude, that's great. We love it. I'm I'm glad we're we're your first podcast. So you, this is the first time you you've been a guest on any podcast.
2: It's the first time I've ever been a guest on any podcast. I've done a number of interviews myself on my channel, yeah. Incredible History. Uh, talked to um, Mike from Wandering Wolf Productions. Mm-hmm. I actually not too long ago. And then several others that are in the pipeline, but I've never actually been on someone else's podcast. And oh. uh, you've been talking for a little bit and you all were the ones I wanted to um, come on to first, just because I've, I've been a follower. Some of your episodes have been really interesting. The one about the crop circle at Serpent Mound, mm-hmm. I had, I knew you know uh, everything there was to know about that area. I'd never even heard of that. Uh, right by that site that blew my mind uh that's where i got hooked and so yeah i'm excited to be here
1: oh so the jeffrey wilson crop circle uh live podcast that we did at serpent mound that weekend got you yeah that was incredible
2: i mean i just had never heard of that before so well
0: to be honest flies under a lot of people's radar i remember growing up as a kid hearing about it but never i've always heard for years that
1: it was fake wait do you mean do you mean the serpent mound or the crop circle was flying under the radar the crop circle the, well, crop, the crop circle, circle, circle is story.
0: 2012, right? Uh thir- 2003.
1: 2003. Oh 20th, yeah, it's the 20th. That's 20th right. 20th anniversary okay. is this. Okay. Is
0: August 23rd of this of uh, this year.
1: Yeah, that actual episode and recording that actually just changed my whole perception on crop circles because Jeff is so knowledgeable about them. And there were actually a few questions that I asked. Me, he said, I well, the first one I, that I said was really funny because he goes, "The guy that started researching crop circles, that's what he said." And I was like, I don't even know what I asked. Like I just was <laughs> asking like a basic thing, but it's something that I guess when you look at crop circles after a while, people just stop thinking about. They just kind of look at it a different facet. I don't know how to put it, but yeah, he he kind of opened my perception that there's more to crop circles. And that most people just take whatever they they think of it as oh it's a design or whatever but yeah like you know. the music
0: scales the diatonic yeah. scale of of music notes that blew my mind um, but you know those guys again those are just Jeffrey and Tom Johnson and a lot of the people regionally here in Ohio that have been doing research and amazing work forever uh, just trying to get the word out about them too so you know Jeffrey being kind of um, You know, unknown to a lot of people outside of Ohio, but if you're interested in this stuff, you definitely know who he is. But even the crop circle is serpent mounds, one topic, but that one phenomena that just happened during that week of in 2003 – um, with Jeffrey, it's both of his worlds combined yeah. <laughs> crop circles and then became obsessed with serpent mound and ended up moving in next door and <laughs> marrying Delcie, the the woman that found the crop circle. It's just an amazing story. So we're trying to shed more light on that story because it, it is one of the most wild stories I've ever heard of in any kind of paranormal circle.
2: Yeah. And like, even if, you know... You know, people say, well, you know, these are elaborate hoaxes. You know, people have done this before. Mm -hmm. Well, people have done it before in like a controlled setting where they wanted to show that they could do it before. You know, how could all these keep happening without someone getting caught? And I'm sure people have been caught before. I don't know. But like, you know, the Serpent Mound one or the one near Serpent Mound, um, that's not far from the highway. Mm -hmm. How is that happening without somebody getting caught? And that's a very elaborate one. Uh, It would take time and effort and not just one person. Uh, Tools, you know, there'd be all kinds of stuff involved with it. Very strange. Absolutely. Well, and
1: even in that crop circle, what I thought was funny was the images that they took when they showed, you know, this is where Jeff and the other researchers entered their points of entry. And he's like, you can see the one guy that was real excited because he went and cut right through the middle, right? So if there were hoaxers out there making it and doing it, they were either the most careful you know, ballerina, nimbly bimbly out there and, you know, tippy toes. <laughs> but then there are points in that circle where Jeff, you know, says it in the episode two here, he's like, you know, from this point in the crop circle to get to that point is like 18 or 20 feet. Mm-hmm. You're not getting there without making damage in the other, yeah. other parts of the field. And especially in the soybean field too, because of the, you know, more delicate nature of it. Right. Yeah. Especially
2: on a soybean field, like especially in there, that that's a whole nother, you know, um, ball game right there compared to corn or whatever, even wheat.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The soybean field being that unique, which again, you always think of wheat or, you know, that being when you think of crop circles, but to hear that soybean was so unique and it just so happened; <laughs> it's that rare. Who knew there was a rhyme or reason
2: to crop circles being picky about what crop they made a
1: circle <laughs> in?
0: Yeah. yeah,
2: I wonder if I wonder if you ever get like, uh, you know, some crops that like feel a little discriminated because they're not having <laughs> <laughs> the Foes coming and putting awesome designs on us. Right? How come they're always corn Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh man, that's great. Will Will's already a lot yeah. of fun. We had a great call with you yeah. uh here earlier earlier in the week and just had a great time. But I really want to hop into it, man, because you've been you know, the research, first of all, you got a book coming out. Uh you have a book that just came out. And so I want to talk about your book and and kind of how you got interested in in creating incredible history, the YouTube channel and everything you're doing over there cuz we we respect everything that you're doing. Absolutely. But you're not just sitting at a computer watching YouTube videos. You're getting out in the field, man. You're doing the research and connecting a lot of dots, so Tell us a little bit about uh, where we can find your research, where we can find the book, and then we can kind of hop into how you got what you're doing with incredible history. And and tell us about the book.
2: Yeah. So the book here is just a little shameless plug. This is Enigmatic North America, Legends, Oddities, and Controversial History. This uh, picture that I took right here, that's at Sego Canyon in uh, Utah. And um, it's one of the most, you know... I guess you could say famous pictures in regard to the whole ancient aliens uh, in the American Southwest area, not pictures, but famous pictographs in that case. And so the way this got started is during the pandemic, um, I was actually working out in Hawaii uh, during the pandemic and came home for a spring break, right when everything shut down. And you know, was in the house for, I think it was in Denver, Colorado when that happened with my brother. And I was in the house for a while and was getting a little stir crazy. And I decided at that point, I am going to go buy a drone and I'm going to go take advantage of all these um, sites being completely empty right now. And the first place I went to was Chaco Canyon in New Mexico, which is wild that play i've been there six times now and i'm probably going to keep going back and i went out there and started just kind of doing some drone photography just outside of the boundary it's actually a national monument you're not allowed to fly drones in the national monument and then just explored like i don't want to say every inch of that place because it's huge but as much as i could you know i was going all the way out to ruins that you'd never heard of before and then I kept that trip going. I started going to places out on like BLM land, like Bureau of Land Management, out in Utah. Uh, actually, my background right here with these handprints. Not a lot of people know these exist. These are thousand-year-old uh, handprints, Anasazi handprints that you can find out at Monarch Cave in Utah. And I had to. I mean, you have to drive like five mile per hour on a road that most cars shouldn't be on to even get to it. But I just started doing a lot of these things. I like to car camp. I like to go and do, you know, long uh, backpacking hikes throughout the desert or the mountains, just looking for stuff. And before I knew it, I realized I had, you know, quite a bit of footage accumulated in the American Southwest at Chimney Rock, Colorado is another spot that I got to. And then I did the mound builders. I went to Serpent Mound, Uh, went down to Poverty Point. Um, pretty soon I found myself in Mexico um, documenting a lot of these sites. Next thing I knew I was taking like a long boat ride down the Guatemala, Mexico border to go document a site called Piedras Negras. And I kind of realized like, Hey, I'm going to, I kind of started the YouTube channel, but it was kind of in like a, um, like beta test mode almost like, how do I want this to be? And during that time, I was just kind of going over all the different things I'd heard of down there, all the legends, the stories that different guides had told me. Um, I was also in between all this interviewing a lot of people with very strange and in some cases, some pretty famous UFO contact and uh, stories. And so I had all this weird, um, I guess, accumulation of weird stuff, photos, videos, interviews of things that were, Enigmatic, which is why I named it that Enigmatic North America. And I decided, you know what, I'd like to try to make a a photo book out of this. And so I started writing um, and I started, you know, gathering all my photos. And I think this book has over 200 plus photos of all the different sites that I've been to. And it's just full of detailed information about very strange history. I try to stay very agnostic throughout the entire book. Uh, That's kind of just how I am. Uh, But part of being agnostic on stuff like this is also not being quick to jump to the it was a hoax conclusion, right? The whole it was a hoax thing seems to be a magic wand for a lot of skeptics. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with uh, with being skeptical. But I'm of the opinion that if something is being accused or someone's accusing someone, especially like an individual of performing a hoax, there needs to be like conclusive evidence, uh, like very clear evidence. And if there's not, then yeah, you can maybe still weigh um, both sides of the story and come to your own conclusion. But that other side definitely needs to have their story heard. And so that's kind of the approach I take throughout this book. I'm sure my bias slips through several times, um, and we can talk about that a little bit on some of them, like. Uh, one thing we're going to talk about today probably is Huea atlaco down in Pueblo, Mexico, which is where these 250,000-year-old artifacts, human artifacts, were supposedly uh, discovered. They were discovered. Whether they were 250,000 years is the question, and I'm kind of biased on that. I've done enough research on that to kind of think that it's true, that there were was some type of hominid in North America 250,000 years ago. Um, but otherwise, I'd really do try to tell both sides of the story. So that's how I got started. Um, what I'm trying to do is it's really just a creative outlet for me. And it's turned into this book. Each chapter, I'm doing an episode on my YouTube channel for. Um, so we actually today, I just released chapter two, episode two, The Mystery of the Western Message Petroglyphs uh, on my YouTube and Twitter and um and then you know i got a tiktok and an instagram where i'm doing these reels for each topic that's kind of in there and i'll be doing a reel or just a little short 1 minute video every day for the next 60 days is the plan um and you know so if you're not like much about reading the actual book just go binge watch i'm going <laughs> to <laughs> weird stuff out and uh you know the 1 minute videos have been pretty popular um, and they're fun to make. Like that's actually, I, I'll, I've been very hesitant to get on TikTok. Um, you know, you hear about the data harvesting and all that. I joined the dark side. I decided to get a TikTok, and it's actually been a lot of fun. So
0: yeah, yeah, that's how I got. Exactly. I mean, that's where the really a lot of the engagement is. And there's so many history guys on TikTok yeah. that are doing great work, like yourself. I mean, there's a lot, you know, a couple years ago, TikTok's like this dancing, people just dance on it. But Goofy here in stuff, the last yeah. year, there's a lot of guys like you that are throwing out some great inform- informative stuff. So yeah keep that up i mean we're on tiktok as well it's fun you know it's where a lot of the engagement is so um yeah absolutely keep going with that man because you got to have some good stuff some informative stuff on there as well
1: yeah yeah stoner takes care of most of our tiktok but i mean it's there is a lot of content on there that wasn't on there just a few years ago like just the 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 kind of shifting of the landscape of you know what people can use to get a get their message out or their content out anymore um Right. I don't know. I mean, so we—I don't know if we want to go into the footprints too deep yet.
0: Oh, not yet. I would—I'd okay. like to. We have kind of an order of okay. this.
1: This de- Oh, you and have oak. Okay. That's right. That's and right. I know
0: the. Then uh, <laughs> in, in the past, I've tried trying not to like jump all over the place, uh, but we've got some fantastic images. I mean, if we want to hop into to that now, will I think uh, you know the the more time we have to go through all this stuff, the better.
2: Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, we'll awesome. might as well jump
1: through that stuff, right? And then we can use whatever time we have left and just get out. I mean, it'll be yeah. Yeah, go ahead for sure. Go ahead, I'm excited. Yeah, Akambaro
2: here. Correct? Is that what you all are talking um, about?
0: Yeah, this uh, the slide deck here.
2: Yeah. So Not okay, sure this
0: one. Which one I'm on right now?
2: We're on the little dinosaur figurines, okay. right there. Did I go too far? Oh, there you go. There we go. There's I got it now. One. Awesome. It's- it was a little hint. So this is the Museo Waldemar Jules Rudd. So this is the a museum in Acambaro, Mexico. Before we get started with this, I just want to put a disclaimer out there. Sure. I'm not a young earth creationist. Um, what we're about to talk about is a very uh, bizarre, I don't know if you want to call it, we'll call it an oddity, not an anomaly. We'll call it an oddity Sure. because maybe there's a explanation for it. However, that logical explanation why I wrote about this hasn't been uh, discovered yet, in my opinion. Uh, and so it's still a mystery, in my humble opinion. If you read on Wikipedia, or sorry, Wikipedia, uh, no, it's been debunked as a hoax. But basically what you have here is in this little museum in Acambaro, Mexico, you have 32,000 figurines, many of them looking like dinosaurs, that were supposedly uncovered over a long period of time in the 1940s through the 1950s in Acombaro, Mexico, in different excavations of, around the area in a place called El Toro Mountain. And I heard about this, and here's this guy right here on the screen right here is uh, Joel Shrudd, Waldemar Joel Shred. He was a German immigrant that was a um, businessman that came to the area, and he was very well-respected. Even the people that uh, claim that this is a hoax had good things to say about him. No one pointed fingers at this guy. He was the first one to find a figurine sticking out of the sand, basically at El Toro mountain. El Toro mountain used to be at the base of an ancient lake. And so it's like a sandy beach where this was found. And we're going to talk about why that's important to know in a second, but he found these figurines and he had a worker with him named, um, Teniero, And he said, Hey, let's, let's find some more of these. Waldemar had already been relatively famous in the area for helping excavate some other uh, ancient sites around the Guanajuato Michoacan border area. And so he had a very strong interest in this. Um, and so the next day Teniero comes back and he's just got like a whole bunch more. Teniero said, Hey, there's, there's more artifacts. I've found more. He continues to go and get them. There was a monetary deal. I think he told Tiniero he'd pay him a peso for each one he could find. And so a lot of people point to that part as the hoax. Tiniero ends up getting the finger pointed at him for this. But long story short, after years of collecting this stuff, you now have 32,000 figurines that are in this museum, probably 4,000 on display. Um, and then she took me to the back room. This is the director of the museum here. Uh, where everything else is stored. It's not just dinosaurs that, dinosaur looking figures that they found. There's figurines of artifacts that look Egyptian, uh, that look like they have old world sig- significance to them. And, you know, I hired a guide here because this is actually like cartel territory right here, especially oh, wow. this part of. But yeah, the Guanajuato Michoacan border is like it's uh a little, quite a bit dodgy actually akambaro itself a shout out to the people of akambaro i actually really loved it there but it's a it's a little dodgy and um and so we go down there and he was just as mind blown as i was now i was trying to stay um you know agnostic this entire time but how i had figured out found out about this there's a guy named charles hapgood a lot of you might be familiar with him he's the one that gets into the earth uh I think, is it earth crustaceal theory? Do you all know what I'm talking about? How do you know the name? I know the name. Is it just basically that there are these cyclical um, cataclysms that happen due to the earth's crust. He's kind of where all that started. Like, I think it's, uh, what's that movie? There's an uh, apocalyptic, like a movie where this happens. That's actually based off of his work, Charles Hapgood, well, he, he goes down there and studies this, and he quickly finds out that there's more to the story than it's just a hoax because people were already starting to say this is a hoax. He starts interviewing everybody. He interviews Tiniero. He interviews Waldred, and he, f- he finally figures out, okay, this the best way to go about this is we need to find somebody trustworthy that lives in the direct area, the 10 acres where all these are being found and we need to dig directly through their living room and try to see if there's anything you know that we can find if we find something that would be- oh. really yeah for sure and so they find a deputy or actually I think the chief of police this is all according to Hapgood's book the mystery at Akambaro really good book you can get it on ebook and they start digging through the living room and according to Hapgood They find fragments of similar pieces. I don't think they found anything whole, but the exact same composition, uh, the same stuff that they'd been finding in the same place, they found after digging through this person's living room down into the foundation, through the foundation and into the earth. And so Hapgood all of a sudden says, well, you know, the mystery is still here. Um, eventually there's a guy named Charles de Peso, very famous archeologist that comes down there. And a lot of people said he came down there with a mission to debunk this. He claims that he took Tiniero, Tiniero took him, the worker took him to go find some more of these and that Tiniero showed him, uh, basically dug up a pre, uh, a cache that he'd already previously buried. And so he immediately said that this was a hoax. Hapgood says that was a huge misunderstanding that Tiniero often did this at the end of a long work day, anything that he hadn't collected, he would rebury. And he just didn't necessarily know what was being asked of him. Um, And so there's a lot of mystery behind that. These things have been radiocarbon dated three different times. Uh, The first time was led by Charles Hapgood. And uh, I think the oldest date was something like 4000 bc the youngest was 1100 something bc then it gets re uh dated by the university of pennsylvania in the 70s like decades later and they come to the conclusion that no 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 these they did it incorrectly these are more modern these were probably um created in the 20th century the guy that writes charles hapgood's forward to his book on the modern day upgraded version says, no, 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 you all did it incorrectly. I'm going to do it. He does it again, comes to the conclusion that these have been created in 1000 BC. So once again, there's just this back and forth, who's correct um, on this. And um, all I know is the only thing I really believe on this is I have a hard time believing that if it was a hoax, that Teniero was responsible. Uh, Hapgood says in his book, Tiniero was like a fourth grade educated uh, laborer in the area. And we're talking about not that he wouldn't be capable of maybe doing it on a small scale. This is thirty-two thousand figurines that are stored at this place. The amount of energy, even so, monetary, uh, monetary-wise, just the amount of energy it would have taken to fire these. Um, you know, this would have been this would have taken years. Um, That's what doesn't
1: make any sense Like when they say it's a hoax Like you said earlier Like that burden of proof on like Show me how this makes any sense to hoax this I
0: mean look how weird they are just these, the ones that we have up here. I mean, for those folks Such that are that are just thought. listening, um, you know, the our show is always uh, available on YouTube. We'll do yeah. our best to kind of explain. But, Will, if you can kind of just walk through some of these figurines. I mean, you've taken some amazing photos, and I'm I'm guessing a bunch of these are in your book as well. Um, but just look at the detail, and just they're weird looking things. So, you know, you'd have to have to get some artist to be in on it. I mean, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Exactly, and and not only one artist, artists, um, in the time frame that we're talking about, and it would have to be not a secret. It would have to be out. In, I mean, it's thirty two thousand of these. So if they were more modern, I don't think it was like nineteen forties. I think we're talking like maybe something happened in the eighteen hundreds or early. I don't know, but I feel bad for Old Tiniero. Rest in peace. Everyone involved in this is dead now, uh, but I feel bad for him. Because he's been labeled the hoaxer on this, and I just don't think it's possible. Um, now you'll see on these, some people say, well, they don't look like your typical artifacts. Like the there's no patina on them, right? Like a kind of like uh, um, an aged surface. And Hapgood explains that that's because they were found in four feet of sand, and that patina does not um, that doesn't happen in sand. You know, that's just Hapgood's uh, take. Hapgood probably had his own bias. You know, he obviously wrote a book about this, um, but it's a pretty good point. Now here's where it got interesting. And this is information I don't think anyone knows about until I went down there. Um, this is a relatively new discovery. So I asked the director at the Akambaro museum, at the Museo Waldemar Joel museum, is it possible to go back to El Toro mountain these days and like, continue to try to find something because everyone involved in this is dead now. So if they're burying artifacts, you know, I mean, I guess it's possible that they left some buried, but everyone's involved. And she goes, Oh no, we can't do that. But we found more in 2008. So as recent as 2008, there's been more artifacts found. Unfortunately, um, you're just going to have to take her word for that. I do have her on film saying that in Spanish. We filmed the whole thing. I was on the museums, uh Facebook page. Um, you can find me out there somewhere on the Museo, uh, <laughs> you know, Waldemar Joel's Facebook page. But she tells me this that as, as late as 2008 asked her, where are these? Are they in the museum? They said, no, everything that's in the museum was Waldemar's collection. Since that wasn't Waldemar's collection, I don't really know where those are, but they were, they did find more in 2008 where those are. I don't know. Um, that was according to her. So why did she say that you couldn't go back out there and dig for more? The entire place is covered with like, um, houses now. Oh. I don't think all to have like a, an actual excavation. If you go, yeah. I don't know if it, if you all kept this photo, but I actually did go, it was a little, this was dodgy. This is kind of in like the favela of Akambaro, but I went to El Toro mountain just to kind of take a picture of like the area. I'm pretty sure it would be after doing some sleuthing. Um, and yeah, you can just see it's it's covered in construction and it,
0: yeah, we do actually to. have that photo. I think it's a little further down, but I can kind of keep. We can we'll eventually reach that photo. I, I think I know what you're talking about. Um, now you mentioned uh, some Egyptian style artifacts. Is
2: this what you're talking about? Am and if you read that description on the left side, I'm not fluent in Spanish, but they actually like describe it as like an Atlantean artifact or, yeah. or something. Read that. Um, and once again, you know, I put this out online one time and people said, you know, the Mayans did have stuff like this. and That's probably true. Uh, but one of my interests is this idea of like a cross-cultural connection between the Atlantic, right? Like the North American and European and African, even on the other side, Pacific, uh, just one big worldwide knowledge of each other. A lot of my content in this book actually revolves around that so i thought that this was interesting but once again um i'm staying i guess i have a healthy degree of skepticism about all this you know the idea that they knew what dinosaurs was back then is pretty wild so the title of this chapter is (laughs) And it's, it's the only, it's only because I didn't want people to accuse me of being a young earth creationist and shout out to all the young earth creationists out there. You do you like, I'm not hating at all. Right. I have plenty of, friends. I just am not one, but the title is, did some dinosaurs survive the KT extinction event? And Hapgood goes into detail in his book, you know, apparently down in Big Bend, um, they found a pterodon, which is like a large pterodactyl. They found a pterodon skeleton in like uh, the geology of an area that's 40 million years old, which is like well after the KT extinction event. Like that would have been like 40 million years later. Um, That's kind of debated as to whether that's 40 million years old, that geological layer that I'm talking about. And then of course you have the um, legends out in the Congo, I believe. Have you all ever heard about? I can't remember how to pronounce it, but the Brontosaurus down there. So there's just all kinds of weird legends that Hapgood in this book talks about that, you know, once again, I'm pretty skeptical of. However, I can't outright call this a hoax because after like weighing the evidence, it seems to me that they just pointed the finger at Teniero, poor Teniero. And, uh, you know, I I have uh, trouble believing that old Teniero fired 32,000 of these. Jeez, the time frame. Right. That's a lot of kiln work, man. Not just
0: that, the sculpting, but to even get those where they're— Just to get the resources. Yeah. The
1: materials. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Just uh, that's a big opera, thirty six thousand or whatever. A, no
1: factory, man,
0: a factory of workers. I can't
1: almost. bake you thirty six thousand cookies. Like sure as hell can't make you thirty six thousand <laughs> sculptures. Like Jesus,
0: um, right? <laughs> like this one is is not really Egyptian. This uh, statue here that we have up, it's it's very unique. It doesn't seem Mayan. It doesn't seem European. It's just very odd. But then you have your little. Uh, inscription here—that's just a, a dinosaur carving on this person's dress or tunic or whatever it is that they're wearing. I mean,
2: that's odd, man. I, if I'm if I'm being unbiased here, this one right here—I'm looking at this. And I go, okay. You know, it's hard to date inscriptions. It's hard to tell. But like, just <clears throat> you know, knee-jerk reaction. Inscription looks a little newer than six thousand years, right? However, you go to places like the Anthropology Museum in Mexico City where you can find artifacts that are 2,000, 3,000 years old. And actually, some of them are just as well as uh, preserved as this. Right. So it's it's one of those things I go back and forth on.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, even in the book, I just get a little cheeky, actually. I'm not even, like, being serious about it. But I talk about, like, well, I don't know, like... Maybe, I don't know if you all have heard like of mind at large, you know, maybe they were tripping psychedelics and they had some moment of clarity of like the past and the future. And they understood that like dinosaurs, you know, and I'm joking in the book, like it's kind of a joke, but it's because I don't think Teniero hoaxed this. That's the conclusion that the experts have came to, Charles de Peso. And I just don't think he did it. Um, I also have a hard time believing that humans lived with dinosaurs back then. So, you know, what else am I supposed to do other than speculate about weird stuff like psychedelics or mind at large? So um, it's quite the mystery. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, you have visionary states of... You can explain
0: away probably a lot of petroglyphs in New Mexico and all over the world where you have these extraterrestrial-looking things. But it's like you take psychedelics, you see some pretty weird shit, especially DMT or some kind of like really visionary substance. Whatever
1: ceremonies they were doing back in those times.
0: Exactly. So. You know, to say that ETs are coming down, and, and maybe that is what happened, but they could also be in some kind of visionary state and some yeah. ecstatic state where, you know, they're creating all of this art that seems interdimensional or completely fantastical. Um, maybe that's what
1: this is. I don't know. It's cool artwork. I mean, it's really cool. The one on the left that that statue has a very funny face on next to the gold one there. I don't know what it was wearing. Yeah
0: but this one's interesting this is looks like uh two dinosaurs or two something that are kind of embracing each other
2: yeah and one has its neck in the other's mouth so the he's biting oh i see i see uh probably could have got a better angle there for sure yeah i think there's another one there's like a little alien riding a dinosaur if you keep going eventually um (laughs) is this your uh photo of the Flavella? This is, um, yeah, the El Toro mountain. And so me and Daniel Comparte, Daniel Comparte was my uh, driver and my guide for this. Usually I do these things solo when I go to Mexico, but for this one, I decided I needed a Spanish speaker. And uh, he told me, Hey, no filming until we get up there. This place is dodgy. This is like not the good part of town. So we went up there uh, took some real quick pics. I got an awesome drone shot of Akambaro and we got out of there. I didn't really have time to like look around, mainly because it would have been like finding a needle in a haystack. Where'd they actually dig on this? Right, it's just ten acres. So right. this is what we do right here. Cool. That's wild. This one's interesting. Uh, wow, for sure. Out of all the carvings, that was the one that was the most interesting to me. Yeah. You mentioned New Mexico petroglyphs earlier. Uh I don't know if you have this photo in the lineup, but uh Dr. John Ruskamp, who's a friend of mine, he's featured in my uh chapter about Chinese petroglyphs in um, um Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is gonna be a very that's gonna be a dynamite episode. It's already made a lot of people mad. I got um <laughs> an archeologist on Twitter for even talking about it. <laughs> but, uh, he sent me a picture of what looks like a stegosaurus out in the New Mexico. It's a petroglyph of a stego, Like it looks like a stegosaurus, probably just a poorly drawn porcupine, um, out North of Santa Fe and between Santa Fe and Taos. Um, and so there are some interesting petroglyphs that you can find in pictographs in America that there's lore behind. I don't know if you have those. Um, if, if, um, we could pull those up or not. But some of them Let have been look. deep. Let's see here. But yeah, there's the one with the alien riding the the dinosaur. Yeah. What well, this one. one? Oh
0: what? That. Yeah, let's just show that one real quick.
1: What? That's different. <laughs> Let me hit your ride, right, bro.
2: <laughs> Man An alien. I, that's what I looks like it, you know. And then there's all the boxes. 32,000 of them. Not boxes. 1,000 figurines stored in there. This is just one section of their storage room. Um, And I don't even think I got the full height of these. I think it goes up a little bit more. And this is me on their YouTube channel. This is when she told me that they found more in 2008. Look at your face. What? (laughs) So this right here, this is called... The Black Dragon, so Black Dragon, Utah is amazing. It's out on BLM land out near the Green River, Utah. Beautiful landscape, absolutely amazing. It's called the Mexican Mountains out there. Not a lot of people know about them. You see these handprints right here? There's actually more like this in this area. As I was walking to this, I saw all kinds of, I guess these would be Fremont handprints. So the Fremont is a group, a Puebloan group that was just north of the Anasazi and you see all kinds out there um and I'll have a video on that eventually but eventually I got to this right here this is called the black dragon a lot of people what do you all think it looks like like first glance if we're talking dinosaurs here I mean
0: god I don't know
1: it's I'm not real sure which direction I should be right. like taking it. if it goes left right if it's looking straight on at I me mean, I see the feet right or the legs Think that
2: this is a pterodactyl, and that you have the wings, and that on the uh, top there, where the head would be, it's looking to, I guess, our right. Right. This oh, one has okay. been. De- yeah, this one's been debunked. I know that word's kind of like overused, debunked, but it, there's actually a good explanation here. Um, those feet right there that you see is one entity. And then the head is actually another entity standing on top of that person's back. When you take this and put it in Photoshop and really do the saturation and all that stuff, um, it's very clearly two different entities. Um, and so I just kind of threw that in there because, you know, sometimes, uh, some of these petroglyphs, you know, people have their own interpretation and they, there's usually a pretty good logical explanation for it. Yeah. We saw some
1: in yeah. uh, Montana uh, a couple summers ago we went um you know backpack camping whatever car camping with our dog my wife and I and she took us down like a dirt gravel road for about 45 50 minutes to get to you know some of these spots and like you're saying you might see a spot but it makes me think of like you know even Van Gogh and painters they used to reuse canvases so maybe even sometimes on these walls you know you only had so much canvas spotter if something kind of got overlaid or images maybe mixed together somehow you know those are clearly not uh mixed (laughs) together those are great look how crisp
2: that is yeah this is in canada and i was glad i could put this in my book because as much as i love my title enigmatic north america i didn't get to go to canada unfortunately uh, because that was all during the covid lockdowns and it was impossible for me to get to canada so I didn't make it, but this is near Lake Superior in Canada. And I got this off of Wikimedia Commons, um, which is an awesome place to get photos of things that you maybe would want to use for like a book. And yeah, this was created by Native Americans out there. Uh, clearly not a buffalo, right? It's got like spikes um, on the back. The explanation for this is that this is a mythical bean or mythical animal that the locals basically... Uh, The local Native American population had combined with a lynx, so like a wildcat. It's like a wildcat mixed with other local animals and is um, a mythical being. Some people, though, think it looks like a dinosaur, which is why I put it in there. But if you ask the actual Native Americans in that area, they have a name for this. And it's a a bean that's like a mix between a wildcat and other animals within that area. You got some serpents. With feet below them, if you look
0: yeah, a little wow, close, I that yeah, very cool serpent iconography everywhere. And look this, at that! The, is
1: this the porcupine?
0: Is, this is outside of Albuquerque, I can or this is definitely New
2: Mexico. Those locks, those rocks look very familiar. This is north of Santa Fe, in between right out right by the Rio Grande River, um, in between Taos and Santa Fe, and awesome petroglyph site out there, and. Yeah, looks kind of like a Stegosaurus. Some people think, right? Really, a lot of people think that. Whether it is or not, uh, probably not. You know, um, to me, it looks like it could be a poorly bad or drawn porcupine. I say poorly, but like, could I do better? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, on a rock, yeah, exactly. Could I do better? Probably yeah. not. Oh, um, uh, give him some give him some credit here. This yeah. one is really interesting. So this is out at, oh, what's it called? Like Bridges National Monument in Utah, beautiful place, okay. southeast Utah. And Natural Bridges National Monument. And you go underneath this incredible bridge and there's all these pictographs and petroglyphs down there. And this one, uh, I wish I could control the pointer, but maybe we could just, this one, according to people on the internet, <laughs> looks like a brontosaurus or a long neck. So um you can see maybe the head would be um to me it doesn't really but there's all kinds of people that have gotten really excited about this one. You can see the head on the right side, you see right in the middle is the pictograph. Can you see that? Yep. That's what I'm talking about. And then yeah, I guess it looks like a brontosaurus. So I went and took pictures of all these just to kind of explain in my book that You know, these ideas of dinosaurs living with people have been around for a while. Um, But I kind of give a whole explanation as to why all these petroglyphs and pictographs probably aren't dinosaurs, right? Um, And same thing with Akambaro. Like I said, the mystery of Akambaro with all the figurines. I'm not telling anyone that people lived with dinosaurs, I'm really trying to get across that. I don't think Tiniero made 30, 32,000 figurines. I have like a real, I don't even know the guy. I think he's been dead for like three decades, but like, I just feel for old Tiniero. I feel like he's been wrongfully accused and I feel like we need to like clean his name from yeah. the internet. We need to like stamp it away. Tiniero was a good guy and he was just doing what he was told. Uh, but yeah, so that's the dinosaur topic. That's, the rabbit hole I went down at the mystery of Akumbaro. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's awesome. I mean, but that you know, we
1: talked about this in the call the other day. You know, um, and like uh, Anchor Watt, the the with the the stegosaurus relief carving. So it's not like it's not like it's relegated to one location. I mean, we've heard this before in different locations throughout the globe. We talked about, or you mentioned even over in Africa and somewhere in the Congo, the the like brontosaurus type still living dinosaur like it it's still man I remember those stories when I was a kid.
2: You know they still talk about it. Well there's a fish that they caught that they discovered um somebody caught a fish you know decades ago that was alive before the dinosaurs.
1: A seelicanth so like is that what it's called? They're called a coelacanth. Yep. They that's thought amazing. they are extinct
2: yeah yep. that's amazing it just shows you, I mean, that survived and it hasn't really evolved much since. Like it's been like the same thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, yeah, what you were talking about, if anybody's interested, if you just put an anchor Watt dinosaur, yeah, there's a relief. And some people think that it was created more recently, but like, I don't know, how would they do that, you know, without it being obvious? Uh, yeah. It looks I- like... Yes. Worse.
1: Yeah, I mean, they had carved off, like, say, you know, it was more like they would carve off whatever um, theology was ruling the temple structures at the time, if it was Hindu or if it was Buddhist or this or that. They would, like, deface the eff- effigies of, like, whatever religion was on it. But they left all the other stuff mostly and, like, the history that was etched into it. It was just the pillars where it was more of, like, the the, like, symbolic prayers of the deities. Those would get defaced. But everything else was kind of kept as a historical map you know um as far as i understood it that's a cool picture
2: oh flint mapping clear there would be no one more happy to find a logical explanation to this than me like hmm. i actually am just fine with continuing to believe that humans and dinosaurs didn't live together i just think it's weird right it is weird uh, the akambaro mystery is extremely weird no one's been able to explain it in a good way. Charles de DePeso, probably a good man. I've heard he's a really good archaeologist. I don't know if he's still alive or not. It, it's he didn't spend much. He didn't put much effort into his debunking, in my humble opinion.
1: Yeah. So let me ask you a quick question, and this is just kind of it, it's kind of in the same vein, but a little bit off the cuff. But you know, recently they're talking now of like, oh, hey, the universe isn't 13 billion years old. It's 26 billion years old. It, it You know, we lose billions of dollars, and this is off topic as well, but what I'm saying here is some of these numbers that might matter, we, we don't really care too much that we fudge these by billions of, or maybe light years in travel. You know, what I'm getting at is, do we really understand some of these scales we're using? Do we really understand, like, even what you're saying, like, it doesn't make sense to you that maybe we lived a, a, along dinosaurs, but what if we're really misconstruing
2: some of this information? Also, what is like the definition of extinction? Because birds got here somehow, right? They evolved from dinosaurs, something survived, right? Like, what's your definition of like what extinction is? Did they all just die at once whenever that KT extinction event happened? No. Otherwise, you know, it there wouldn't be like things that are still clearly evolved from whatever that was. Um, and so you know, it's it's just it's cool. to. It's fun to keep an open mind about these things without maybe going too far off the deep end. And yeah, you mm-hmm. made a good point, but that's actually news to me that from like last week there, the universe is maybe what? 20 billion years old now. Yep. Is that where you're? Yeah, that's crazy. It's new. I'm still processing that one because it's basically
0: twice as old as we ever thought it was. And
2: the human timeline keeps getting
0: pushed back and pushed back with the, the new cave paintings and stuff that we've been covering. Yeah. Strange happenings. Yeah. It's like human beings back then should not have had this ability artistically. Yeah. Uh, You know, where they thought maybe it was Neanderthals, but now they think some of these cave drawings are actually Homo sapiens sapien, where we shouldn't have even been in the record books back then. So all these timelines are getting pushed back. Yeah, And I think that's – you were talking about these footprints and stuff and and some of the datings that they have and and theories that people have around – um, you know whether it's these giant footprints in South America that seem that have gone viral, and a lot of people said those are fake. Michael Tellinger has that enormous, huge footprint that's oh, just yeah. in that rock that's really, really Supposed to be like six
1: million years old.
0: Yeah, and it's yeah. just
2: like, wait a minute, what's that? All right. <laughs> Isn't it? I had never heard about that until last week. And I'm I've I've put it in my bookmarks that uh, that's pretty curious. I'll be going to South America um hopefully here in the next year or so. So yeah, it's a pretty good segue to way it's Laco if you all want to talk about that. Because Perfect, yeah. uh, you know, the peopling of the Americas, Graham Hancock is who really kind of opened my eyes to this. I heard about Way It's Locko through Graham Hancock's book. And then also Dr. Little, when I was going down to Piedras Negras, he had mentioned way it's And so I did a deep dive. There's like an old, and there's not much information out there. I had to do some serious sleuthing to like find out what I did about way it's to even find the spot, I like used Google earth. We'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but basically let's start off from the beginning. The idea of the peopling of America is, first of all, the conventional history and the archeological record um, doesn't believe that there was even like Neanderthals in the Americas, right? That Homo sapiens were the first people to get to this continent and they think, and this has been pushed back originally. It used to be as much as like 5,000 years ago. Okay. Well, that's not correct. You know, they found out that wasn't correct pretty soon. So then it was 10,000. Eventually, people kind of settled around between fourteen and sixteen thousand. Right now, you got these New Mexico footprints that are coming out, which we'll talk about in a second. That's at minimum. You always oh, you always hear twenty thousand with those. That's at minimum. Um, those could likely be very uh, much older than twenty thousand years old. Well, you got places like Way Itzlaco that are a bit of an enigma. So Way Itzlaco is this site here you're looking at. This is a drone shot that I took at the spot in Puebla. And on the right side is where a man named, oh, sorry for a second. His name is escaping me. Uh, But there was a man that found this artifact down there that is likely the oldest piece of artwork that has ever been discovered in the Americas. I don't know if you have the photo of the bone that's been carved with some of the... Um, um, is it, did I go too far? Am I going? Went to a little too far. Okay. I'm going the wrong direction. There we go. And then there's one other photo that's a little better right that there. One? Yeah. Okay. So this thing, um, and I want to get his name right. So I'm going to also kind of multitask here while I talk, while I look through my book. You're good. This thing right here, he kind of keeps still for a while because he realizes this is a gigantic discovery um, this is on, I believe a mastodon, uh, hip oh my. and you see there are ice age animals within that picture. And he starts to say, Oh boy, this is going to be controversial. Cause I, I know this is old, you know, this is pretty old. And now this isn't 250,000 years old. This is just how like the rabbit hole starts. Anyways. Um, the man, his name is real quick. Sorry, everybody. I just want to give credit. Okay. Well. Well, anyways, I apologize for the dead air there. You're good. I'll just Will. keep going. You're good. <laughs> he finally tells archaeologists that he's friends with in um America about this, including a lady named uh Dr. Hannah Wormington. And she was like you know, one of the best of the best is about to retire. And she had a protege named Cynthia Irwin Williams and they go down there and eventually this thing starts getting pressed. Like this is a genuine discovery. They find it's called green bone, which means that this was carved soon after the animal died. Like if you carve onto a bone, it's it's very evident in the, uh, in like the record basically. And so anyways, this artifact that you're looking at right here, just to kind of fast forward a little bit, the Smithsonian gets involved at some point they have, yeah, get ready. It's missing. No one knows where this thing is. Come on. Of course. <laughs> the Smithsonian gets involved. I don't think they actually, um, were the last ones to have possession of it. That wasn't clear to me. I just know at one point it was displayed there. There was magazine covers and no one, according to the documentary I watched in this book, Christopher Hardiker's book, uh he's passed away since rest in peace, Christopher Hardiker. But his book, The First American, says that this is missing. No one knows where this is. This might be the oldest artifact, artistic artifact in America, and no one knows where it's at. Okay. So, anyways, this was just the entry to way it's Laco. And this causes a whole bunch of uh, interest in the site. And Cynthia Irwin-Williams, the protege of Hannah Marie Wormington, that a lot of people saying she's a rock star, she's like the next big name in archaeology, she goes down there with the team, they start excavating, and they start finding artifacts. They go a little deeper, they find more artifacts, they go a little deeper, they're finding these obviously chipped, human-made artifacts. Very clear, no one debates that the artifacts are genuine, like the artifacts are real. And so she's taking records of the geological layers uh, that they're found in bed, you know, bed B, bed C, bed D, bed E, bed, bed F, eventually bed I, all these different layers. And they start sending samples to geologists for radiocarbon dating. And they start coming back with pretty unbelievable years, 40,000 years, 50,000 years. Okay. Okay this is obviously wrong right this can't be at this point this is like the 1960s so like they don't even she was hesitant to even public uh, publish this little did she know and the documentary does a good job of uh, talking about this and i have my own video on this too that was like the least of her worries um eventually some more samples are sent radiocarbon dating's get even better uh, the technology for this and they start coming up with ages of like 250,000 years. Oh my God. Yeah. And so at this point, the word kind of starts to get out. And this is why I call this the biggest archaeological cover up and conspiracy of all time. Cause it actually is a proven conspiracy. And there was a the director of the museum in Mexico city, the Mexican museum, basically like the national museum there. He, they were allowing the excavation to happen as long as they could keep the artifacts. And he decides he's shutting this down. He sends men with guns, actual men with guns, like federales down there to shut down the operation Bans uh, um, Cynthia Irwin Williams from excavating from the site. And all of a sudden, you know, this thing gets memory hold real quick. The artifacts themselves go missing. Luckily, there was um, some duplicates made and there was also photos of them that are out there on the Internet um, and in Christopher Hardiker's book. Well, so this all gets kind of covered up 250,000 years. There's no way. Decades later, uh, basically, the U.S. Geological Survey decides, hey, I'd like to go take another look. We're talking about real PhD, like real scientists that go down there. And they go and do another radiocarbon dating on the exact layer that she says she found these, and we're talking about a competent archaeologist here. No one disagreed with her her competency. Even the um, Hardiker Christopher Hardiker in his book talks about even the guy that ran the Mexican museum wasn't necessarily saying she got the um, the, the information wrong. He believes that she didn't realize that these were planted by her workers somewhere. And so long story short, the geological survey ends up doing multiple radiocarbon datings and the dates get older. Hmm. 50,000 years is the minimum at this point. Um, it goes all the way up to like over 500,000 years uh, on like between, between when these artifacts were created, if the layer they are found in is the layer they're found in. Now there's another, um, scientist that believes that she did make a mistake and he has his reasons why and uh she he basically thinks that she got an erosion area where some different beds were mixing mixed up. Hardiker pushes back on this in those the book um and he, he has his reasons for that but about the footprints this is the most speculative part and this is where I like put my Indiana ha- uh, Indiana Jones hat on and I went and found these things. In the early 2000s, when this team went back there to Weitzlaco, there was reports that there might be footprints in a layer of ash that was 1.3 million years old um, down there. And there's a photo in Hardiker's book that I put in here uh, where he shows this photo. And, you know, that's the supposed footprint right there. They were all unsure. They weren't really sure whether this was a footprint or not. They took... these photos that aren't in color. And so I decided to go, I used Google Earth. I don't know how I found this thing. I can't even remember how I found the site. I just know I used Google Earth and I pinpointed it down and I went there. It's an old like abandoned quarry or like mine. And I went and found the supposed footprints and took my own photos. And it's hard to say. Um, You can see the, the outline of them. I don't know if you want to go to mine, the ones that I took here. I believe that photo on the left, the big one, is the exact same photo that Hardiker had in his book. I'm not exactly sure. Um, But, you know, a lot of people, if you look this up on the Internet, um, a lot of people say it's been debunked. But it's really the reason that the archaeologists who debunked this, or I think it was a geologist, the reason given is because, well, we have no evidence of humans in, in the area at that time. It's not because like they analyzed this and determined that like, they weren't footprints. Uh, it's because of the historical narrative that currently exists. Now well, what would be whether, left after so it's a million exclusion. years? Exclusion, it's just what would exclusion. be exclusion.
0: If it's a million years, what would be left?
2: Post right, shards, exclusion.
0: you're not gonna have any evidence. Wood's gonna be gone, building structures. What would be left other than fossils or something that's mineral based, like you know, these footprints? I don't
2: know. Like, and if would, you go to Mexico footprint, that's a good point that you just made there, Mikey, uh, because, you know, so if the New Mexico footprints are 20,000 years old, these it's ones are 60 times older, right? And you can see, you know, the New Mexico footprints aren't exactly fresh, like they've eroded some as well. Um, and then you have these right here that are supposedly on a layer, according to Christopher Hardiker, who is a PhD archaeologist that was 1.3 million years old, um, you know, and so I went out there and, and took these photos and uh put it in a little documentary. I have a documentary about this called The Cover Up at Way It's Laco. Nice. Um uh, and uh it's on my YouTube channel if you want to check it out. I went and talked to locals, they remembered Cynthia, they called her La Gringa. <laughs> uh, uh as soon as I had a translator with me, as soon as she said Cynthia, they started saying La Gringa, La Gringa, and um <laughs> but they still had a memory of her and this, I talked to this old man right where the artifacts were discovered. And he said that on camera to me, he said he found more mastodon bones and like tusks. And some guy came and wanted them. And so he gave them to him. And I was just like, oh no, man, you've just gave away a treasure. Those are worth so much money. And I didn't have the heart to tell him, but apparently he was just giving bones away. Oh God. I'm, I'm sure there's more he, on his land. Like wow. he needs to. And go dig them up. But, Someone's yeah. got. Yeah. yeah, those are very expensive, man. Anyways, I've been rambling about this topic because it's a, it's an exciting one. It's one rabbit hole that I went down. But here you can see these are the New Mexico footprints. Now I want to ask you a question here. Do you all notice anything peculiar about these footprints? The toes, six toes, right? Toes on those, right there, six. Yep, there's six toes. And this is another chapter in my book. You can find petroglyphs of all over the American Southwest of six fingers and six toes. And not just the Southwest, North Carolina has one with seven fingers that's associated with the legend of a giant named Judicola out there that's at Judicola Rock. Um, Either six toes or a, uh, a six toe or a huge bunion, man. I don't know what's going on there.
0: That's,
2: <laughs> that's what you get yeah. for hiking around in the desert, bud. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Chaco Canyon, and the walls at Chaco Canyon—they stamped, uh, they had stamped a footprint at one point that had six toes. Apparently, this was relatively common. It's actually not the most uncommon thing throughout all cultures. It's called polydactyly. It happens. Yep. Uh, it's a genetic condition, uh, but it, it did happen at a um, apparently a higher rate in the American Southwest during the time of the Anasazi. Uh, and it's really interesting. Uh, if you go out to Petroglyph National Monument in um, Albuquerque, if you see a handprint, count the fingers. Um, I wasn't even expecting to find six-fingered petroglyphs out there. I was out there looking for these Chinese petroglyphs, and I looked at them and I started counting: one, two, three, four, five, six. Pretty cool.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: We've been we've been to the Petroglyph Park on the outskirts of New Mexico, uh, Albuquerque. Yep. Fantastic! Yeah, there's some interesting ones there. Uh, I myself have been to Chaco Canyon. Me and my wife went uh, during the annular solar eclipse in 2012. Met Dr. Kim Malville, who's the uh, archaeoastronomer, resident archaeoastronomer. He's the guy that built the observatory out there. And he got interested in in Vedic astronomy and astrology and quit his career as an astrobiologist and became an archaeoastronomer. But he was out there forever out there at Chaco Canyon rediscovering all the alignments, the winter solstice alignment with Fajada Butte. Fajada Butte is right in the center of where the sun and this whole canyon, and there's this beautiful butte that seems to be the center of all of their alignments Um, Basically using that as a point on the horizon to um, calculate all these different measurements. And that's just at Pueblo Bonito, the the main it's 80,000 square feet. It's multiple stories and you got to climb up the ancient riverbed, the waterfall to get up top to really look down on these places and go cuz when you're walking around on the ground you're just like, "Oh, cool, walls, buildings. You got all these cool doorways and windows that don't make sense and the kivas with the circular structures. You get above that thing and you, it it just absolutely blows your mind. Didn't you see all the petroglyphs up there completely untouched? And it's just wild.
2: The Anasazi might be my, like, that might be my favorite ancient culture when it comes to, like, the underdog, you know? When you think about the Americas in general, like the Inca, all the cultures. The Anasazi were just as capable as astronomers as any of the other ancient cultures. Um, If you don't mind, I'll tell you about another chapter in my book. This one's weird. It's called... uh, (laughs) It's called ancient. It's called Anasazi Astronomers and the Silicon Valley Bank Collapse. The moon and the stars control the economy. And I have a video about this. It kind of like went, it only, I don't want to say it went viral. It got like a lot of views on Twitter because um, there's a big account that retweeted it. But it, at, it's happening right now. So at Chimney Rock, have you been there? Are you all familiar with Chimney Rock, Colorado? I haven't been there. I'm it's familiar been. with it. I don't know if it's possible to pull an image up of it, but it's this incredible spot that has these two pillars of rock that are gigantic. And you have a great house, Kiva, um, that is built on a ledge high up in the Rockies. This is like kind of an anomaly for the Anasazi. It's like the furthest northeastern part of the Chacoan Empire. And it is so with the Anasazi, you have Uh, the main culture there, but the Chacoan part of that culture was kind of like the dominant, you know, building force. You see this at like Aztec ruins and you see this in Chaco Canyon, the building style is different than like maybe Southeast Utah. Well, these are Chacoan like buildings in um, this near Pagosa Springs, Colorado, and it's called chimney rock. And the, they were trying to think, how did they build this up here? And why did they build this up here is the most important question. What was the reason like, it's kind of an arid spot in a very high elevation place there's not a lot of water around you know what's going on here and they started digging around and they realized that there was two major building efforts that were 18 years apart from each other and after doing some calculations another archaeoastro- uh astronomist and I really isn't an archaeologist that understands archae- archaeoastronomy. and I I wish I had his name off the top of my head I'll send it to you all maybe you all can like Put it in the description for me or something. He made a prediction that on during the lunar standstill that happens every 18.6 years, that you would see from the great house vantage point a full moon rising between the two pillars at Chaka or at Chimney Rock, Colorado, every 18.6 years through these different periods of time. Like right now, we're actually in it. We're in the lunar standstill. It's going to happen from now up until the uh, 2025. The last one was in 2007. Okay, well, this is where this gets interesting. Uh, There's a man named, like, why would they do that? What's up with the 18.6-year cycle? Some people think maybe they thought it had something to do with, like, a boom and bust crop cycle. Well, there's a man named W.D. Gann back in the early 1900s that basically created a what he called a financial timetable. And he used this to predict boom and busts in the stock markets. And his bust moments always happened during these 18.6-year lunar standstill cycles. What happened in 2007 during the last lunar standstill? Right before okay. the
0: subprime mortgage collapse, that was, 07 was the mortgages that led into the full collapse in 08.
2: Correct. And then in 89, I believe in 89, you had the Asian, one of those years you had the Asian financial crisis, right? And and so he was able to predict the um, Great Depression with this. He was able to predict, if you extrapolate the chart out using his model, which people have done, people are like crazy about this. There are, financial gurus out there that use this. Do you all know who Ray Dalio is? I know the name. Ray Dalio's like he's like considered like the Michael Jordan of like big time value investing, even more than like uh I guess you could say Warren Buffett these days. Um he doesn't fully admit to using this. He calls it his 18-year credit debt cycle. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. And as 2023 approached, and we entered the lunar standstill, the cracks started cracking, baby. And look what happened to the Silicon Valley Bank. And I'm not making any predictions. I am not a financial advisor. And who knows? Here's the other thing. finance With finance, things can roll out in different ways. It could be maybe a a dollar devaluation, or it can be a stock market collapse. Those are two opposite things. So you never want to make your bets based on some like astrology. Like you really should do your own uh, research. And that's not what I'm trying to tell you here. I'm just telling you that there's a very curious uh, anomaly that seems to be happening with people following this 18.6 year, basically lunar standstill cycle with the WD GAN. If you look them up uh, based on how they play their bets in the stock market or the commodity markets versus The ancients looking at this exact same cycle. The same thing in Poverty Point. They tracked the lunar standstill at Poverty Point. They did it at Cahokia, I believe. Um, All these sites, you can find this. But Chimney Rock, Colorado is the most radical because this full moon, there's one picture of it on the internet. Somebody took a picture back in 2007. This full moon is just rising between the pillars right at the uh, great house. And so, you know? Are you you aware of
0: the great octagon in Newark? I don't know when oh, you were in me. Ohio if you got a chance to see the Great Octagon <laughs> in Newark, Ohio. Uh, it's- no, but I- tell me about that. Uh, So we have two 18.6-year lunar calendars here in Ohio. One is Serpent Mound is one. And then the more well-known is the Great Octagon, which is a part of the Newark Earthwork, which is a circle, square, and octagon structure that's all one big giant site that takes up the whole city of Newark and Heath combined. And it is the it is the largest earthwork complex in all of the, other than Cahokia's in terms of how spread out it is. The, they used to have the um, Ohio State Fair inside the Great Circle, uh, but the Octagon currently is a golf resort. So it's a country club that's been there operating as a country club for basically a hundred and some years. And recently, the Ohio History Connection has. Uh, won the battle to to take that land back and to essentially force the lease away from the country club. But the reason why the octagon is still there is because the country club has protected it. So without that country club, people want to talk a lot of shit about, you know, oh, well, it's a golf course. That's, you know, ancient culture. But if it wasn't for them, we it wouldn't, wouldn't have there. the octagon a hundred percent. And there's a platform that you can sit Where, you know, maybe the shaman or the astronomer would sit and they're tracking these lunar cycles, the the northernmost moon rise, the northernmost moon set, and then the whole – basically the whole calendar system ends at 18.6 years where the full moon, like what you're saying – Arises right down the barrel of the octagon in a specific spot where you're on this platform, and it is ridiculously advanced. And all of the earthwork scholars in Ohio actually agree that this is an 18.6 year lunar calendar in the in the the form of of an octagon, and it's massive, dude. Um, if you're ever back here in Ohio, it's worth checking
2: out. Yeah, and that's the one with the big circle around it, correct? Like the like the circular wall, I guess, or moat. <clears throat> so there is a big circle,
0: which is part of the New Earth, Newark Newark earthwork, but this is actually an octagon shape, completely. Um, as far as like there there's walls on the outside, which I think are are like avenues or causeways that connect the Great Circle to the octagon, and then also from there's a square. And then there's another causeway that goes from the octagon to the square and vice versa. Um, but yes, it is absolutely incredible. And how – in Ohio, it seems like people, they, they were obsessed with the moon uh, primarily. Um, unlike the Mayans and the Aztecs, they were very and, – and the uh, Egyptians were very focused on the sun, uh, which Serpent Mound has both the sun and lunar alignments – so that kind of brings both of them together which is why
2: that place is so unique. Um but yeah, it's it's, it's wild. <clears> that it is wild. I want to go there. I want to check that out. It's the whole thing when you're like talking about chimney rock or all this, it makes me kind of step back and realize that like if all this is true, like especially with since we're still apparently tracking this, like there are literal they a lot of people that do—I don't know if you know it—like uh, oh, technical analysis is on, like when you're looking at stock charts.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah! oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh <laughs> yeah! yeah! You got oh, Bob's yeah. I love bro. stocks. I'm not great with them, but I love watching them.
2: <laughs> Ta, baby. Form of modern day astrology in many ways, right? Like you're watching the ebbs and flows of human behavior in a way, correct? Well, and so. That's kind of what that is. And I am not an astrologist. I I am like an elementary level, like on like astrology and all that stuff. I don't even know. I'm like a Sagittarius. I don't know if I'm rising or following or whatever. the. I don't know all that. But all I know is when I look at this and I think, you know, I've watched the dramatic tide changes out in Thailand when I was visiting Thailand and I've watched what the moon can do there. Like we're what? 75% water. I'm sure these cycles have some effect on human behavior. And so if that's the case on like a micro level, then it probably is on a macro level too. And the more I look at it, I don't know if y'all have ever heard of like the fourth turning. Um, I've gone down that rabbit hole. That would be a wonderful like rabbit hole for y'all to go down. It's another cycle. It's called um, generation theory by uh, William Howe or William, Neil Howe and William Strauss, I believe they were, um, two psychologists and it's basically this idea that like a lot of this stuff is out of our control. Um, sure. We go through, we go through cycles and like people say, you know, well, how did we know that? Cause we're in the fourth turning right now. This is like the end of a cycle where like things unravel and, you know, pandemics, all these things happen. Was, like, how does that control, how does that make a pandemic happen? It's not necessarily that it makes a pandemic happen. Pandemics always are kind of happening, but it it's more so how does the public react to it during whatever cycle you're in? A lot of people don't know, and I don't mean I don't want to get into like COVID and all that stuff, but like a lot of people don't know that like the Hong Kong flu happened here in America. And I think it killed somebody can fact check me if I'm wrong. I think it killed like a million Americans. But like it was maybe during a time where like things were pretty chill. And so it didn't like, uh, you know, it didn't resonate with the public. Now we're in this time of like unraveling uh, is the big theme on the fourth turning. And the last fourth turning of course was world war two. Hmm. And the first being right afterwards, these things happened in like 85 year cycles. And um, I just, the more I look into these ancient cultures that study the same stuff, it just kind of makes me wonder if like we're all just like floating in the river with our feet up and there's not much we can do. Does it matter who's in all this? Uh, I don't know. I could be wrong on that, but it just feels that way. Have you looked into the Yuga system,
0: the Vedic, uh, the ancient Hindus and the Vedics talk about the Yugas. Like right now we're in the Kali Yuga, which is the, the final. And these are, huge expanse of time where they're calculating these massive cycles of time, you know, not just 18.6 years, but these very, very, very long and series of time, which, you know, essentially they're tracking uh, comets, impacts and earthquakes and things that kind of happen at the beginning. And then at the end of these cycles that humanity goes through these changes during these periods of time. And right now, you know, in the Kali Yuga, the final Yuga, and uh, you know, according to the ancient Vedics, it's a time of change. It's a time of, of shifting, and then obviously the Mayan have their long calendar um, and their their systems of tracking these enormous. Like we think from year to year to year <clears throat> that we're just going around the sun, and these ancient people are tracking just unbelievable different,
1: different timescales. Yeah, they're not using the same calendar wheel. No, for good reason you know
0: but why was that so important to them cuz they're looking at
1: skylines they're looking at celestial movements they're yeah. recognize we measure our position by our own thoughts of like it's justin and today's monday or today's saturday it's they're looking o'clock. at it like hey we're on this planet and our position in the freaking galaxy and the milky way is here not this right. is you know so and so chief of whatever tribe back in the day and tomorrow's tuesday and i got to go slay a buffalo and get some fish Like, they were contemplating much, much bigger things. They were watching wheels of time turning across galaxies. We don't do that anymore. We don't think about stuff that way anymore. We
0: live in cities, and we wear shoes, and we're not connected to the Earth. We're not connected to the sky. We don't think
1: about how we're, like, on this giant, you know, spaceship flying through space. That's what the Earth is. Like, it's a giant spaceship, basically. They
2: were tripping, too. You know they were tripping.
1: There you go. Bingo.
2: There you go. i i couldn't agree more yeah yeah it's crazy the Hopi have a similar thing right the four worlds yes yeah yeah i wonder if that's i wonder how i wonder how similar that is to the vedic you know you always hear about like the dalai lama like visits taos new mexico and stuff like that hmm? like what's up you know. um i wonder if there's some some weird connection there so, yeah, our friend VJ has been on the show a bunch of times.
0: We've already told this story, and you can go back and watch our episodes with VJ. You might find it interesting, but he. You know, came to uh, Ohio for to, lived in Cincinnati to just work and you know connect into American culture and kind of wasn't thinking about lost civilizations or even his background as a you know and where he's from in Tamil Nadu comes to Ohio, visits Serpent Mound and totally gets blown away. Had no clue that these ancient sites were in America, and essentially starts to research and and tap into these places and. Really Realizes that maybe Serpent Mound is a, a temple to the Kundalini yoga system, the seven chakras, and that that this could be almost like a, a temple. It's almost like what they find in in these ancient places in India, and kind of then looking into words that are similar to Native Americans in in America and other places. Uh, and just kind of goes down this rabbit hole, and has been an Indian now talking about these connections with Ohio
2: and uh, the ancient Tamil people um, in yeah. America. So, well, and then you look at like the Zuni connect their linguistic connection to Japan. Yep, uh, there's about it called the Zuni Enigma. I quote it in my book. It's um, there's some unbelievable connections there. Does Ross Hamilton talk about some of that in his books about Serpent Mound? I have his book. Ross talks
0: a lot about like the the Manitoba civilizations where Ohio was kind of like the heart or the center of, or like the third eye, if you will, of this greater advanced Manitoba civilization that existed thousands of years ago. And kind of, you know, that's where we have these stories of the giants of, it's kind of an outpost, if you will, of these much more ancient cultures, if you want to call them Atlantis or Lemuria. Um, but these uh, these grand Manitoba societies that lived in North America um, that we just don't have any, you know, proof of essentially. Um, but, you know, Ross's work with archaeoastronomy and kind of how he, he ties some of this stuff together with um, the, the earthworks is –
2: it's fascinating stuff. The constellation Draco and um, – did you all know – that there's a serpent mound in Kansas where I'm from. Yes. And Chicago. Jeffrey actually uh, talked well,
1: about uh, it. Apparently there's quite a few serpent mound there's effigies. And there's actually some Taglios, depressions, like you reverse, like almost like that footprint,
2: but a, you know, a dugout version of the serpent yeah. mound. So the one in Kansas is interesting because if you you can look at this up too, I think just Google serpent mound, Kansas, um, it, it has the same egg, right? Like the same jaw mm-hmm. surrounding the egg. What they did is they just filled it with lime. Like they just filled it with a whole bunch of lime and there's an aerial photograph of it. And uh, yeah, blew my mind. It's on private property. I I don't know how I could find it. It's out in Lions, near Lions, Kansas. Um, and I've been trying to, if the, if the owners listening to this out there and the internet holler at me, I would love to like go fly a drone out there if you'd let me. But only with your permission.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, man, The next time you're out in the Verde Valley or in the and you're in the Southwest, head to Bar V Heritage Site. I think you would find that place fascinating. It's a pre-Hopi site um, that was on a ranch. For years and years, it was operated as a ranch. But they have a whole wall of these amazing petroglyphs. And there's actually a serpent petroglyph out there that recently they found out is a solstice calendar tracks the winter solstice, summer solstice and the equinoxes by shadow play on this petroglyph where it uses a jagged rock to kind of mark the solstice marker that casts onto the, the petroglyph and gives you that effect. Um, and it, it goes all the way through, um, the equinox and solstice and, and, but that's something they had just found out. The park rangers, Had no clue. I asked them if they had ever heard about Serpent Mound because, hey, we have this thing in Ohio that tracks all these solstices and equinoxes. You guys have this petroglyph. They had no clue. Had never heard of Serpent Mound. But why is this petroglyph basically doing the same thing as
2: this giant earthwork in Ohio? It's just wild, dude. It's almost like, yeah, it's – it's you almost wonder – like some of it is probably diffusion and some of it might be isolation. And sometimes people don't like to hear the isolationist uh view because they think it's boring. But actually I think it's the most intriguing one. Like, why are we evolving the same way separately across continents? Right. There's probably some diffusion involved as well, right? But it's so interesting. I've actually so I haven't been to V-Bar Ranch, but I've been right next door to Red Tank Draw, which is a another place uh that's just amazing and there are serpents all over that wall out there um and uh there's actually a really interesting pop uh uh, petroglyph i don't know if this is like pg-13 or what but (laughs) of uh there's a lot of like um animals copulating out there (laughs) clearly you know having fun out there and that's that red tank draw really interesting site that's right next to Sacred Mountain. Have you ever heard of Sacred Mountain before? Out there, that's a pretty cool spot that not a lot of people know about. There's uh, Pueblo and ruins that have never been restored and probably haven't really even been excavated, as well as a a uh, ball field like a Mesoamerican style ball field. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think we were going to go to that.
2: But the day that we
0: came into town, it was already closed or was closed for like it's not open every single day. I remember looking into that one. And then we ended up going to V bar V, I think instead. Um, But we went to Montezuma as well, V bar V. um, And, you know, hiked over uh, a couple different vortexes, you know, those kind of sites and stuff like that. But I would love to get back. The Verde Valley is so mysterious.
2: There's so much stuff to explore. It blows your mind. It is beautiful this time of the year. This is like when it rains down there. I was there two years ago today. And wow, incredible. I love that spot. Yeah, Dr. Little has uh, was telling me a little bit about a friend he has that's been doing researches on those vortexes. He basically like takes these devices that measure... And sorry, Dr. Little, if I'm getting this wrong. but Measure, like I guess, gravitational anomalies. Yep. And he would, and he would find areas that had this, and then nearby there'd be another area. And he almost wondered if, like, you know, they were like sucking in energy from each other or something. You know, hence the name vortex. I'm sure that's a very elementary level understanding of it. Haven't gone down the vortex rabbit hole too much. Bought a book on it at a bookstore there. I just haven't got to it yet. Yeah, it's it's interesting stuff. We
0: had a tour in 2010 that we did. Bub and I did with a gentleman, mm-hmm. Kevin, two flutes. Still trying to find you, brother. If you're Kevin, listening, Kevin, Kevin, if you're out there, Jeep tour guy, please up. hit us up. We would love to we talk to you, him. brother. Um, but one day we will reconnect. With we'll Kevin. find him. Um, I'm sure he's out there. You know, he taught us how to kind of connect with the energy. And Bub was very, very skeptical, and I was oh, yeah. just kind of open, like, hey, I heard about these vortexes. We're going through Sedona. Let's see if we can't can't figure it out if this is real or let's see what it's about. And you were very skeptical. I don't even know if we were watching like ancient aliens at
1: that time. Like if that stuff was even out. Like it was, I mean, this was quite a while ago. It was early. So yeah, we were definitely a little bit skeptical. I was at least. Yeah, I was open-minded. But But it was a great trip. And he had a lot of stuff that, you know, still to this day makes
0: sense and, and is even more enforced by time. You know, he had a scientific view, but then also had the indigenous view. Yeah. So we got kind of the both sides of the story, which was uh, awesome and yeah. how he kind of connected everything in. But it was the first time that we had been, we kind of did a little ceremony up there for us. Yep. Smudged us, um, did some spirit wheel card reading. Beautiful area. And yeah. It was.
1: I'd like to go back out there.
0: Yeah. Kevin, we're looking for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well will this has been absolutely incredible um, uh, you know as the name incredible states, right yeah exactly um, the I, incredibly I, strange road <laughs> that's hey that's a good uh, good title for the episode um, man we love what you're doing we really do and I'm so happy it's funny because we're chatting on in the comments on YouTube and then you and Bub are talking to each other separate on Twitter and I'm like I think we need to have this guy on and Mike's like, we Bubs, gotta get this. Bubs, guy. I already been talking to him, but he, he's writing this book. And after the book comes out, you know, we're, we're, yep. we'll get it lined up. Yep. So,
1: which is like I said, is great. That's awesome. You know, I'd love to be able to have those touch points and check in with people. Like, oh, cool. Yeah, you're not ready right now. Hey, well, in the future, when you're ready to come back, like, let us know what you do, what you're into, and it just helped. Like, again, you might go off and knock out another project to be like, hey, I'd like to come back on or whatever it is. Like. We're not opposed to that either because we've only scratched the surface with you know your book even you know yeah there's still a lot to discuss but we can only pack so much into a podcast save some
0: for if you guys want to want to check out the book all the links are in the description Um, before we let you go I do want to ask you what do you know about the newer Coley stones has that been on your radar at all
2: Uh, as far as out of place artifacts. Yeah, the only reason it's been on my radar is because um and I, I don't know a lot about it, but I see doctor I've seen Dr. Gregory Little uh tweet some fascinating photographs of them. Um so that for the new work holy stones, I actually don't have an opinion on those because I haven't done a deep dive. Not to change the subject on you, I did just release a TikTok this morning on the Bat Creek Stone. Oh in my on that we can talk about that real quick yeah dude yeah
0: i love the bat creek stone story
2: personally uh it's it's wild when i say analysis i just mean like you know my opinion i guess so i'm kind of a fence sitter on it but here's what i know so and here's like how you can think about it so this thing was found and when it was discovered they believed that it was cherokee Cherokee syllabary is like a written uh, a writing system that was developed, you know, hundreds of years ago by the Cherokee, and this was the narrative for a long time. So this is where I get when people call it a hoax, I have a little a problem with it. It wasn't a very well advertised hoax because it wasn't until the 1970s, a century later, that they turned this thing upside down and they go, "Oh, it's Hebrew." And no one questions whether it's Hebrew. That's like, that's, no one actually questions that. Everybody agrees. Yeah, this is Hebrew. And it says for the Judeans, like there have been multiple Hebrew scholars that have confirmed that Uh, you can read about that in the book, or um, I'll make an episode on it. Um, I think coming up here pretty soon, within the next couple of weeks, that episode will be out. So for the Judeans, well, there were two archaeologists. And I think this is great that they did this because they have a point um, that came out. It was Quas, and I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the last name, but they found an 1870s Masonic reference book that does have some very similar um, characters, Hebrew characters, in kind of some similar orders as well. But there was an economics professor from the University of Ohio named uh, Professor McCulloch. He responded to this. And basically, you know, kind of he, in his opinion, I think, tore it apart a little bit and said, hey, these are not exact. There are some really curious things in here. Basically, this is just proves the point that they should have known back then, even that this wasn't Cherokee, this was Hebrew, because these things were around. This Masonic reference book was around. So did, was it possible that there was knowledge of what ancient Hebrew even looked like in the area? Yes, because this reference book did exist in the 1870s. However, like most things, you almost always hear with these things is, oh, it was this person that was trying to prank their superior or they were trying to prank their professor, or whatever, whatever, you know, that's always kind of the idea behind it. And that's a not a bad idea. I'm sure that happened before. With this one in particular, if that happened, it was not very well advertised because they thought it was Cherokee. To my knowledge, somebody correct me if I'm wrong no one ever declared that these might be hebrew until the 1970s that's when it all happened long after everyone had died so if it was a hoax it wasn't a very well advertised hoax and it's definitely hebrew but what when was it created was it created in the 1800s you know that's up for you all to decide so well scott walter
0: did a, an analysis on the geology and what they'd found was a scratch that was on the Uh, right above the carving or the inscription, if you will, that he basically analyzed in depth the scratch that was created, which they think was to be able to date it. Someone had made this scratch to kind of compare the inscription carving to what a modern Sure, you got to tell the –
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So he was able to – and they don't know who did this, who made this scratch, but Scott Walter basically said, hey, this is great because I can tell you from what I've found that this scratch doesn't have age, but whatever this inscription is, is old, Not real sure – he couldn't tell you how old it was, but that it definitely didn't come from the 1870s Hmm. of whenever it was found. It had to be much older because of the way that, um, you know, after time – those uh, inscriptions kind of start falling in on themselves and the edges really start to wear off. Sure. Whereas the newer scratch, you could see these sharp edges. Oh,
1: it's it's going to so, smooth over time or, yeah, it's going to erode a little bit. Whatever and not erode, you want to think down. about
0: Scott Walter, but I think he's a pretty reputable forensic geologist. And, you know, he's got the H2 show uh, America Unearthed. Nice. Uh, which he's very skeptical. I mean, there's a lot of things that he says is horseshit. He's, he studied the newer Holy Stones as well and said the same thing. That the inscriptions are old, um, that it's not a a, some, it's not an artifact that someone faked in the eighteen hundreds, that it had to have been old. So whether or not it was faked, or somebody had put it there, as who knows? Well, and he, will
1: even said it earlier. Like a lot of times, what happens is you get you find this, and again to the 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 lady that was digging down, you know, layer E, F, G, H, I, you know, you're getting down on layer, 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 layer. Somebody didn't go down there and then like sneak in right. like some of these artifacts <laughs> to screw with you. And there have been multiple reports like this. And I think we talked about it the other day in our call about, I'm a big Michael Cremo fan. If you know Michael Cremo, he's the same, that whole knowledge filtration, like Oh, here's this artifact or this incident where we find that we carbon date or however we, you know, geologically date it, that it's a million years old or it's this. And people go, I can't be. It doesn't fit our model. Well, th- your model's broke then. Like we need to include oh, – what are all these pieces of data floating out here that are so far out of the mainstream conceptual idea that we can't even put them in? Like they're Yeah, exactly.
2: There. Exactly. Exactly. And like, as for Scott Walter, like people give him a lot of grief because like his show is like mysterious. His geology sounds like the guy knows his geology, like it's his business, forensic geologist. And he's sound and there's been more times than not. He goes, oh no, this is, you know, this is BS. Um, and so yeah, shout out Scott Walter. I actually he, he must have uploaded a picture of the Bat Creek stone to Wikimedia Commons, which, Scott, thank you for doing that, because it's the best photo we have of that on the Internet. Um, and yeah, there's one other thing that I forgot to mention, and it might be what Walter was talking about with that dash. Professor McCulloch makes note that there's a mandatory, mandatory word divider that's often used in Hebrew that was used on the Bat Creek stone that was not in the reference book. Uh, as well as multiple other letters that weren't in the reference book. And uh, in that video I made today, I compare them. I I, I go back and forth between them, so you can kind of decide for yourself. Um, but yeah, as for the Newark Holy Stones, I haven't got to dive into that one yet. But the Bat Creek Stone is really interesting. And I did that one in combination with the Lost Lunas Decalogue Stone out in New Mexico, which I got a chance to go look at. And you know, a lot of people immediately call hoax on that one because it's clearly it looks new. It's it's been scrubbed and chalked though. Um, now, I think there's four possibilities on the Lost Lunas Decalogue Stone. I know we're gonna um, get off here pretty soon, but I'll just name them real quick. First possibility is that this was a hoax, right? First possibility is a hoax, maybe by Professor Hibbins, the guy that found it. I don't want to say him directly because that's unfair, but one of his students is people, people said his students like to play pranks on him. Okay. I think that's unlikely. If you actually go look at the inscription, it's pretty elaborate. Um, and it's full of, it's not just Hebrew. Some people say it's not even Hebrew. It's like an Eastern, like almost Greco, Greek, you're getting even Asian. Like there's, yeah. there's old Hebrew. It's, it's a weird, weird uh, writing system. Okay. And for those that don't know about it, it's supposedly the Ten Commandments out in the New Mexico desert. Some people say, no, it's not the Ten Commandments. It's about a, a traveler in distress. Um, that's a whole nother thing. But option number two is that this was created by a member of the Mormon battalion that marched through the area in the 1840s, possibly. as. a And I'm not picking on the Mormons here. Um, I actually sympathize. This is going to get me in trouble. I sympathize with a lot of their historical beliefs. Uh, what if the lost tribes of Israel did make it to the Americas? You know, we're talking about these things. Um, anyways, uh, but I do think it's possible. It's, I think it's been clearly, there's been Mormon hoaxes before. And when I say Mormon hoaxes, I'm talking about the individuals. I'm not talking about the overall people, lovely people. So it could have been done by a member of the Mormon battalion, which was the first all religious battalion and maybe the only one ever that uh, existed in the United States army and marched west. They went through the area, I believe, Uh, or just some Mormon settler in general in an attempt to kind of strengthen that idea that the lost tribes of Israel or the Nephites came through the area. Okay. Option number three, maybe they were the lost tribes of Israel or some, maybe not even that maybe just some random off chance got blown off course or something found their way to New Mexico. I don't know. Maybe it is an old world explorer. Option number four is my favorite. Crypto Spanish Jews. Okay. So crypto Spanish Jews were Jewish people that fled Spain in the Inquisition. A lot of them went to Mexico and New Mexico during the time of that era. And they, for 250 years, they had to keep their religion on the down low. Like the Inquisition, people don't know this. It lasted for centuries. Uh, you know persecution of Jews, Muslims um, from Spain, and so these crypto Spanish Jews. There's an excellent book on Christ- crypto Spanish Jews. I say this, and I'm forgetting the name, but it's about crypto Spanish Jews in the New Mexico area, and it was like the 17th, 1700s, 1800s, 19th, 18th century, kind of around the time that some people say there's oral histories of these being known about in the 1800s, right? The first document, documented sighting uh, of it was in the 1900s by Professor Hibbins, but people said, Oh, we saw it before then. Hibbins claimed there was lichen growing between it, the grooves that had been there for a while. It's kind of interesting. It's in an angle. That's what some people think it's super old because it's in an angle. This rock has clearly eroded away. That also is why some people think it's a hoax. Some people think they did that on purpose. But, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying it was the crypto Spanish Jews, but um, that's one option that you don't hear about a lot that I think kind of makes sense. There's apparently a lot of them and still a lot of their um, descendants are still in the area. Really cool, fascinating history on... The Jewish migration to uh, New Mexico. If anybody wants to check it out,
0: yeah, and uh, it's it's really really weird that you say that because when I took uh, when well, I found my biological family and I uh, basically Jewish DNA popped up in my ancestry account and I'm thinking oh it comes from my white mother well no it actually comes from my father that his origins are from Zaca, Texas, Mexico. So my father's side has this Jewish DNA marker along with Congolese, African, Spanish... Um, You know, Native American, Hopi, and uh, it goes all the way up into New Mexico as well, where you kind of have those genetic communities with, of course, um, you know, Irish and English. But my father had all this European DNA, Jewish DNA, Sardinian, Spanish, and basically just completely mixed Latino. Um, But it's like, I saw Jewish on there thinking, oh, that's got to be from my mother's side. No, from my Mexican father's side.
2: Weird yeah, and Zaka, right there in the central part, you know mm-hmm. that's that's where it migrated to. Um, it makes sense, man. You know, it makes sense. And like, listen, on a lot of this, you know, I'm showing you enthusiasm. It's I like this stuff where you can think outside of the box. But I seem a little too enthused. I apologize. I don't know <laughs> on most of this, and that's what's most fun about this. Right, I still don't know. A book about a lot of this stuff, and I don't know. So, you know, some people don't like fin centers. I'm kind of a fin sitter on a lot of this stuff, and uh you know, I think that's okay for stuff that's unexplainable. You know, if you want to talk to people about it and tell a story, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with conviction, but you got to have the proof needs to be in the pudding, right? And in a lot of the stuff, there's no pudding, right? There's just the stories and the and there's a little bit of it. There's like the crumbs. Um so I don't know on a lot of this but those are some ideas and I feel like we should be able to talk about those without people saying oh I on my I, I get comments every day you shouldn't give this a platform you shouldn't even talk about this I have a completely different interpretation about that there's a guy named Dr Barry Fell I don't know if you all are familiar with him he was doing a lot of the translations of like the supposed Celtic Ogham and old world scripts and the guy gets a lot of grief. He's dead now. He was the president of Harvard's Epigraphic Society, but he gets a lot of grief for doing these petroglyph translations in America's and having very like liberal translations like that are very specific. And, you know, my take on all that is even if 95% of that is bullshit, if he got 5% correct on any of it, the history books have to be changed. So yeah, are there charlatans out there? Of course, but I think everybody needs a, to have a um, a voice. And I think it's important to look at everyone's uh, angle and all sides of the story, especially when someone like Portiniero is being accused of a hoax because you know those are major accusations. And if there's not incredible evidence that shows that, uh, then I believe the other side of the story needs to be told. No matter what, I don't care if it does platform some idea or uh, or whatever it is, the other side of the story needs to be heard. You all are uh, grown adults. You all can decide for yourself once you hear both sides of the story. Yep.
0: That's it. Will, incredible well, well history. Put. Wow. Yeah. What a way to wrap that up, man. This has uh, been an incredible conversation. I mean, you know, we always try to tell everybody we know Jack squat, but we're always interested I'm just in learning more and yeah. asking questions. I'm still learning so much, and, and every time we do an episode, we learn from our guests. Well, and the moment you think you other. know it all,
1: that's when it's a problem. Yeah. The moment you think you've got it all understood, that's a problem. Like, you always got to be curious, and you always got to be open.
0: Yeah. I mean— Exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, send us off with some final words. Let us know where we can find you. Tell us, uh, you know, where we can find the book. Yeah. And, uh, you know, give us uh, a—we'll send you off and and we'll come back and have a chit-chat after we do uh, our outro. But uh, final last words and uh, where we can find you and, and connect with you.
2: Yeah, for sure. All my social media, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and even YouTube, my tag is at Incred History, I N C R E D History. My name, though, is Incredible History on there. That's just my tag. And on all my comments on my Twitter, uh, in my bio, on my Twitter, Instagram, all that, my YouTube, you can find this book, uh, Enigmatic North America Legends, Oddities, and Controversial History. It's an awesome book. I got an ebook and a paperback book. There's over 200 photos. But if you can't swing the purchase, no big deal. Go watch the episodes. I'm releasing each chapter for free as an episode every Friday. Um, I released it on Saturday today. I had an editing error. But every week, I'll release one episode for the next, I guess, 21 weeks because there's 23 chapters and I've already released two. Every day for the next sixty days, I'll be doing a TikTok, Instagram reel, or and I'll be putting it on Twitter too, and a YouTube reel of each little individual section in here, where we all can go down the rabbit hole in one minute. They're one minute videos. I try to have fun, and this is that's what this is. I'm I'm just having fun. This is fun to me. So follow along, and thanks for having me on your podcast, guys. I'm a big fan of your channel. It's been awesome. Thank you Uh, so much. Thank you so much, Will. Uh, Will from Incredible History, everybody.
0: Thanks again, Will. We'll be right back.
1: Fantastic. Uh, Wow, what a great conversation. It's
0: fantastic. Yeah, again. Winning. Yeah, again, just keeping this thing moving forward, switching it up, having these, these kind of conversations where... You know, I love meeting people that are pushing against the official narrative and, and able to admit, like, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I'm curious. I'm looking into this. But you know
1: what I see here is like – it reminds me of like reading a David Hatcher Childress book or something of like yeah, getting out, doing it, David, finding it, researching it. Like- that was one of my big – because you know, that it is. there's always the next wave. Like Von yeah. Daniken was Von Daniken, and then there was the next wave of him, and then there's DHC, and then there's Giorgio, but there's always going to be the next wave, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I'm not getting any younger, so like, it's definitely not going to be me. So I think
0: up. Will's picking up the torch, and I think we're forward.
1: starting to see that next wave of researchers. It's awesome. To I love it. See the enthusiasm, the spark. Not to say the other guys aren't still doing their thing,
0: right? But. You know, we got a lot of new blood in the ancient civilization world. There's a lot of enthusiasm. You know, a lot of people that you've been connecting with on on Twitter, and yeah. you see a lot of people doing the Twitter spaces. and, yes, and that's X a very now.
1: popular. Yeah, uh, it's a very popular. Having thing. these
0: debates about history. Yeah, you know, having these kind of discussions is so important. Yeah, um, and you know, not digging in, not taking complete size but being just open to well we've also had seeing a new picture we also we've had some that
1: you know if we don't agree right away they got a little sporty and we had (laughs) some. this was both we won't even go into names here but we had someone that we were considering bringing on at one point and like it was like they basically told us how 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 everything was like how they knew and we were like whoa okay that's not the kind of conversation we're into like
0: no, um, it was basically like I'm going to come on your show and debate you because you're wrong about. The, it was like wait, you're wrong never, about this, this. We this this never and said we were, we're, like, were whoa, right or was trying whoa. to prove anything, or yeah. it's just fun things that we talk about.
1: That's when I saw ego, and yeah. and I was just like, no, man, we're not about that. Like if that's your ride, like you go for it, yeah. carve your own path, blaze on, young one, have yeah. at it. But yeah. that's not for me, right? But anyhow, great conversation there. Yeah. Can't wait to see that. But I need to get a copy of that book, though, and I need to check out his. Uh, Uh, weekly chapter update that's cool that's a great idea too yep absolutely make it fun and interactive and the quick deep dives on it so good stuff
0: so guys, go check out Incredible History. Will's killing it. Yep. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at the Strange Road. Go check out the Facebook group. Um, you guys can support the show. Uh, we've got all of our links in the description. Uh, Will's links in the description. So be sure to check that out. Go follow Necro on Instagram. Check out all the post show edits he does for us. Yep. Crushing it over there. Like, subscribe, share, follow wherever you are. We are signing out.
1: Stoner and Dizbro and Master Control Stoner, working their butts Disbro,
0: off. Stoner, Dizbro, Master Control, one shot. they are. Shot. Wave to the camera, everybody. Oh, my gosh. It's <laughs> hot in there right now. All right. That door is flying open. Woo! Three, two, one. <laughs> peace. Later.